So we've just had Christmas and New Year. And before that, I was out, I think it was mid-December, I was out for a walk. A lot of churches, they, the, fast, the, the pastor feels pressure to come up with a theme. You know, I know lots of pastors and they don't know what theme to create. And because they're not hearing from God, many men, they just grab someone else's theme and they just stick it on the wall or they make it up. I'm just telling you the truth. That's what happens in thousands, tens of thousands of churches. But God, God designed time, you know, in the book of Genesis and this new year, I believe he does give us grace. He gives us a fresh start. So I was just sitting praying and out of the blue, just so beautiful voice to talk to you. And it's us specifically as LFC and all of you who've been so faithful in this church for so many years, but also all those who are part of our international church family as born again believers. And God was just so gently saying to me, you're limiting me. You're limiting me. And I had to go away and think, what on earth does that mean? And I found Psalm 78 verse 40. How often they provoked him in the wilderness and they grieved him in the desert. Yes, again and again they tempted God and they limited the Holy One of Israel. And I'd never perceived that word in connection with something I can do to God. Are you kidding me? So that was an eye-opener to me. And it just began to connect with other scriptures. Let God arise. No wonder. No wonder some Christians have had the same enemy in their lives for years. They're not letting God arise. You need to let God arise. That means there's almost like a permission. I don't want to use that word, but you know what I mean. There's like space, room, and I'll talk a little bit more about that today. So we saw how you can, and I believe you are, you're limiting God. And he doesn't want you to do that. How? By the way you see him. Remember the parable of the talents and how the man with one talent, he saw God as hard. Hard taskmaster, so he buries it in the ground. And the king comes back and says, what are you doing? Wicked servant. And the guy said, well, it was the way I saw you, you see. I saw you as tough, hard, so I hid what you gave me. I didn't use what you gave me. And even what that man had, limited as it was, even that was removed. So the way you see God limits you. My self-image, we were like grasshoppers in our own eyes. That's how we saw ourselves. They limited themselves. And of course, unbelief, the biggest of all. Today, that was part one, no limits, um, in December. Today is part two of this same theme, which will be for 2020 for us. And it will take time to unpack, I believe. Um, today, the title of today's message, and don't panic about taking notes, I'll send you full notes later. The, the, the title of today's message is God's Sovereignty and Man's Responsibility. God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. Some people believe that this is the number one, many theologians believe this teaching today, this doctrine, this understanding or lack of it is the number one disaster in the church. You know that? Yeah. Many people who study all their lives and devote themselves to scripture, many say this is the problem with Christians. This very 
teaching today. The, the understanding of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility has caused Christians to live limited lives, impoverished lives, weak ministries, broken relationships. This is the point they will tell us. And I need to listen. I need to listen to that. Because when I consider God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, the question arises, who's in charge here? <laughs> who's in charge in this world, huh? We've got pandemics, we've got wars, I've had friends in war, just come back from war, people killing each other. Who's in charge in this earth anyway? And if this is a sovereign God, if this is a God of love, I, I, excuse me, I just don't understand this. I don't understand what's going on. Can someone explain this, please? Some things are not easy to understand. But I think in a Christian life, if you do not stop at some point and deal with this issue, you will be forever limited. I'm going to say that again. If you do not stop and deal with this issue, as difficult as it is, you will be, not forever, but you will be limited in your life on this earth. Yes, you will. You know, I was thinking this week, this, this issue is a bit like reverse parking. If you've ever passed your driving test, you will know <laughs> from experience that the worst part of the, 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 the bit you don't want to do, you'll do the theory, you'll do this, you'll do that. But oh, once he said, okay, reverse parking, it's incredibly difficult to do that. It's not even almost a natural action because you're required to have your focus in two places at the same time. Keep your eye on the road in front. Look behind you. Wait, 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 wait. Which? Both. You have to do both. And it's, it's a difficult thing to get. But you're not going to get your license without it. You're not going to get your license without it. And in the same way, you will not proceed. And I can show you this. You will not proceed with your dreams to the level that God would have for you if you do not address the issue of understanding to some degree that is humanly possible God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. So let me open with this scripture from Ephesians chapter 3. It says this, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above, there's the sovereign bit, the Almighty. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think, According, here's the man bit, according to the power that works in me. According to how I let God arise. I really like that scripture because it's so succinct, it's so neat. And it shows me the two halves that are, that are in play here. The first time I ever encountered this doctrine, this theology seriously, was as a new believer with my first two or three years as a Christian. And I remember... Um, Reinhard Bonnke being introduced to Reinhard Bonnke's ministry for the first time and I was confused because I mean Bonnke was leading millions of people to Christ and I mean millions that's not an exaggeration he's probably the greatest evangelist of all history I don't know anybody who's surpassed that what he's done I mean the guy was a phenomenon now I've got a problem with that and I had a problem with it then and I've still got a problem with it now. I think he's great. I had the honor of sitting with him for three days in Seattle a few years back. He's dead now. But I think he's one of the a real man of God. But I've got a problem with the fact that this only one guy leads a million people to Christ, is it? What about everybody else then? Oh, he's special. No, he's not. He's no more special than you are. 
You're not special, neither am I. You know what it says about Elijah? Elijah was a man just like you. So you're kidding yourself, and I refuse to take the bait on that and excuse myself that, oh, Bonky's something special. No, he isn't. He's an ordinary guy. But I tell you what, he, what is different with Bonky. He understands something that I don't understand. He's got something. He's seen something. So I run out as a new believer and I buy his, one of his first books, Evangelism by Fire. I want to know what he knows. I want to see what he's seen because obviously I haven't got it. And I believe the same God who blesses him will also bless me if I can just perceive it. What is it? What's your secret? And as I read Evangelism by Fire, absolutely fascinating to me. And I'm paraphrasing him now, but I'm sure he'd be happy with it. Um, he divided, he, he states that, you know what your problem is? You don't yet understand the authority that God has given you. The responsibilities that you have. You're not fulfilling them because you don't understand your authority. You don't understand your responsibilities. And you have not fulfilled your obligations. Those three things, I'll cover them today. Authority that I have, responsibilities that I have, and the, the sheer obligation of fulfilling these things as I live now. So as, as I considered them as a young man and then over these last years, I think, that, <coughs> excuse me, I think it's almost impossible to, to actually get this or understand it without seeing the big picture. So I'm going to rattle off five what I perceive to be the five major changes in, in history that have brought me to the place I am today. And if I don't see these five stages, I honestly don't think you'll ever see the point here or will ever grasp God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. Only five points. The first point, briefly, how did this begin then? Number one, God wanted a relationship with you, with mankind. So he makes Adam and Eve, and we can read the story in detail. He puts them in the Garden of Eden, but he gives them authority. He gives them dominion over everything in that garden. And in Psalms 115 verse 16, it says this, The highest heaven belongs to the Lord, but the earth he has given to men. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. And when they were challenging Jesus about the authority or the, 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 the identity of mankind, in John 10, 34, Jesus said this. Jesus replied, Is it not written in your law that I have said that you are gods? Small g. <laughs> is it not written that I have said ye are gods? And it's, it, Jesus is not saying you're God, right? I'm not God, you're not God. It's a small g there. And what he's saying is, The highest heavens belong to the Lord. And he controls all. However, he's made us in his image. And just as he has dominion over the universe, God wanting that family has created the earth and he's given man. How gracious, how generous, how creative. He's given man. You can also read Psalm 8. You made him a little lower than the angels and you put all things under his feet. Not talking about all things in the universe. Talking about all things in the earth. All things in the earth. So Adam was created a powerful creature, really. That's why Jesus called the second Adam, because Adam was very like Jesus in that sense. Very like, same type of power. That's the second point. Adam sinned, as we know, and Eve sinned, and they gave this dominion. 
to the devil. They handed over the keys to the devil. Now you can imagine Adam. You remember Jesus stilled the storm. Adam could have done that. Adam had authority over the weather, over the fish, over the birds, over the animals. Adam had authority over the fallen angels. Satan was in the earth. There was no demons at that time. They came after the flood. But there were angels. One third of heaven fell upon the earth. And Adam had authority over all of this. He was supposed to subdue the devil. But he didn't. He cooperated with the devil. And handed over the keys, if you like, of authority. So first God creates Adam. Second, Adam sins and hands it over. And third step in the big picture to, to perceive what's happened here Christ comes doesn't he comes in human form 100% man 100% God enters humanity born of a virgin the very blood of God this is God's solution the blood of God entering humanity in Jesus Christ takes back the keys of authority wonderful absolutely wonderful and then from this point on is where the church starts to get very confused because point four is that Christ raises from the dead but he's got a spiritual body raises from the dead and as he returns to the father he restores authority he restores the authority back that was lost in Adam and he gives it to the church by the way gives it to the church to the body of Christ to the church and through the church to Christians so when people say to me is God sovereign? Is God in charge in the earth? The answer is God is sovereign, yes, but. God is sovereign, yes, but. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. And as I started to see Bonky's point and, and, and how he was functioning so powerfully, it completely changed my perspective on my responsibilities and the powerful creature that God has made me and you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Unfortunately, Christians tend to go to extremes on this. There are Christians who say, well, God's in charge of everything. You know, well, if he wants it to happen, it will happen. If he doesn't want it to happen, it won't happen. Right? And there are people who live their entire lives with that mentality. And I just do not see that in Scripture. Many people become almost like a passenger in their own story a passenger observing their own life and that is not what I see in the men of Scripture this type of attitude it's not the right attitude a good question for us to ask ourselves does God get his way does God get his way in the world I mean he's God isn't it he? he's sovereign is God getting his way in the world no no God's will it's there I mean it's in multiple multiple places but 1 Timothy chapter 2 and it says this for God our Savior who wants every man to be saved it is the will of God that all men come to the knowledge of saving faith it is God's will to save all for God so loved the world are all men saved no, Jesus said, no, all men will not be saved. In fact, there will be more lost than there will be saved. That's what Jesus said. Many people contradict that today, but that's what Jesus said. Best not contradict Jesus. <clears throat> Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction and narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. And few actually find that road. That's what he said. 
God does not have his way. And this, this creates you know, attitudes within people when they perceive God's like, God in, in this light. When Christians argue against me or argue against this understanding of God's limited sovereignty, shall we say, self-limitations self he has placed upon himself, they often quote scriptures like Romans 8.28. We know that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord. All right? God's in charge of all things. Everything is in his hands. Careful, careful, careful now. <laughs> That's misusing that scripture. That scripture does not mean God is controlling your life. You've got free will. He doesn't do that. What that scripture means to me, if you mess up, he will take all things and he will work them for good. But don't put the blame on God for the mess up part. Do you get that? It's important, you see. All things work together for good, absolutely. But it doesn't mean that God is controlling me in that sense. That's not the nature of a human being in creation. You're made with free will, a powerful, powerful creature on this earth. So one of the observations I see, and I'm sure you will agree with me, much of the evil that we see in the earth is attributed to God. I grew up in Belfast in a war zone with bombs and bullets and the people blown to pieces. I remember a man and his child, his child was about 12 years old and they were both stoned to death in the street not far from our house. I remember a bus on fire when I was a child and all the people burning inside it and being dragged out on the street. You know, we saw many horrible, horrendous things. But in those situations where there's a rape or where there's a murder, you always have Christians walking around saying, well, God had a purpose. God had a purpose that this man was burned alive. God had a purpose that this and we attribute to even within insurance policies. You know this, right? Even within insurance policies, they've got a thing called an act of God. So, like if one person is killed, oh, that's probably just an accident. But if 250,000 people die in a tsunami, oh, that was God. That's definitely God. And you see how con confused our understanding can be. And those who set free, uh, Bonky is a good example, those who break that, miscomprehension they actually break free and emerge into a completely different perception of themselves an unlimited perception a true perception of who I am my responsibilities my authority my obligations so first of all I would say if you do not accept the authority Adam didn't even, didn't work in his authority the devil's walking around and he didn't control it didn't bind him cooperated with him so if I don't use my authority, evil results in the world. If I don't exercise my authority, evil will abound. If you don't see that you've got authority and exercise it, evil will prevail. Oh yes. The second thing, I've got responsibilities. If I don't fulfill my responsibility, you see this in homes and families that fall apart. Because the father very often does not fulfill his responsibilities. I've got authority. Yes, I have. God-given. I've got responsibilities. And if I fail in these areas, the devil prevails. And we see war. We see suffering beyond measure in the world. But we can't attribute that directly as such to God. So let me reiterate this point. I want to begin 2021 taking the limits off 
And okay, we're going to have to fight to get this perception, but let's do it. Let's change here and now in Jesus' name. Open my eyes, Lord. Let me see what I have not perceived. So what does sovereign mean anyway? What's the word sovereign mean? We use sovereign of the queen. She's called the sovereign. It means she's not answerable to anyone. We use it of a king. We use it of someone who's independent or the UK is currently sovereign again. Sovereign from Europe. We've broken away. So a sovereign is someone who is independent, doesn't answer to anybody. So the question I'm asking today to begin with, is God sovereign? <laughs> yes, absolutely. And just so you know, Christian churches around the world don't really have a problem with that. Mostly there is agreement on that. But it's what it, it, it's the way in which it works itself out. That's how where the problems start. God is sovereign, and in his sovereignty, he has imposed upon himself certain limitations. Self-imposed limitations. And the first one is this book. You've all got one. The scripture. So right in the beginning, God says, okay, I'm going to help you out here. I'm going to exalt my word above my name. He doesn't need to do that for himself. He's doing that for you. You know, when I married my wife in Colombia, uh, I wrote out seven vows. And I gave her a copy. And I stood at the front. And, and in some senses, I don't need to. I'm doing this for you. I'm giving you something you can trust. I will not break these promises. And I state them publicly for her sake, to give her confidence in me, to give her trust in me. So God begins by saying, okay, I'm going to help you out here. I will exalt my word, but I will never break this. I know how shaky you are. I know how frightened you get. So I'm going to write it down and I'm going to give you a declaration. I limit myself for your sake. I will not break the word. So when you read it, you're guaranteed that I will come through on that. Believe it. I'm helping you. Wonderful. That's the first limitations. For me, there's two big limitations. The second big limitation is free will. God has given you free will. And my next statement could be the most important statement you're ever going to hear in your life. <laughs> The first time you've had free will since the day you were born. You've never known anything else. But see, as soon as you die, you've got no more free will. And Judgment Day is the day that you're going to experience that fact. On Judgment Day, you're not going to have the access to that free will. God will impose upon you his sovereignty because this part is over. Do you get that? It's very important. You are enjoying the luxury, the freedom, the liberty of, you know, this free will. Be very careful with that free will. Just because he holds back, this will not always be the case. Your free will will be completely obliterated when you leave your human body. Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive for the things done whilst in the body. So whilst you're in your body, absolutely you have free will. But as soon as you die and your soul, spirit separate from that body, you no longer have free will. You made your choice whilst you were in the body on the earth. That's what Paul's saying. You are choosing today the judgment 
that will be placed upon you at the judgment seat. You yourself are choosing that. So in one sense, you can't blame God. God's only going to give you what you ask for. He's going to... It's not going to be optional. You make your choice now. And you will receive that choice then. But it's not negotiable after you die. So I, with all my heart, I ask you to choose Christ. And choose Christ today whilst you still can. Choose Christ. Follow Christ. It's an obligation in light of what we see. It wouldn't be funny if I didn't mention predestination because it confuses many Christians. Many members in LFC, our church here in London, have asked me, you know, what do you think of predestination? Do you believe in predestination? It goes by many names. The popular uh, way of expressing it is Calvinism, that some people believe we are predestined for salvation. Some people are predestined for salvation and some people are not. Uh, so it, it's, it's not strictly Calvinism, but let me call it that. Um, John Calvin did believe that certain people were predestined for salvation. I don't believe so. He believed it was an individual thing. And because God had chosen them, that the, the grace that he, he, as he reached out was irresistible. He believed that the destiny of individuals was actually determined by God. And if someone was lost, Calvin believed they were lost because they weren't chosen. How crazy is that? He, he believed you were born again first and then you repented after you became born again. Because God was alive in you. There's another guy called Arminius. And he had a completely different concept. He believed it's got nothing to do with salvation. It's got to do with your work, your service. I agree with that because that's what I see in scripture. It's not salvation. And it's a corporate, it's a people, not an individual thing. God calls a people and it's conditional on your faith. And if you're lost, my friend, that's your choice. That's your choice. And you, th that choice, as I've just said, will be enforced upon you. And as for the person, you need to repent to get saved, <laughs> okay? And then you need to hold on to that salvation. So I, I'm not going to go into detail here today. But this is the, if you want to use the term predestination, every parent knows what predestination is. Why do we complicate this? You have a dream when you had your baby. I want him to be a doctor. I want him to be a, I don't know. I want him to be a pastor. I want him to do this. You, that's your predestiny. And then you shape and you form. Most of the time it doesn't happen. The predestiny that you see God talk about in scripture was a dream. It was a plan for my children. But they didn't cooperate. So any thought that God, you know, divinely chooses some and rejects others is confused theology. Do you know, God, the, the principal parable that they abuse to try and wangle this, this teaching into the church and confuse people is in Jeremiah. This is the message that came to, to Jeremiah from the Lord. Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house because I'm going to show you something. So I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working on the on the clay at the wheel and he was making a pot from the clay but something was wrong something's wrong with the clay and Jeremiah saw how the potter changed his mind and he destroyed bang 
He destroyed the part that was in his dreams. And what was happening there? God. Remember? Everybody say God. That's right, God. God sent Jeremiah just to get his mind clear. Jeremiah, you think some people are special? Take a little walk down to the potter's house and I'll show you how special you are. Watch his hands. And the, the potter represents God and God has a dream. He has a predestiny for the clay, which is you. And he starts to shape it. But the clay is rebellious. The clay resists the hands of the potter. Will not be molded. Will not be shaped. Don't mess with God. And as Jeremiah, this happened, my friend, this happened. And Jeremiah watched. At a certain point, the potter had enough <laughs> judgment. And the potter smashed. And the, the dream the potter had was to create something noble, something beautiful, something great. But you wouldn't cooperate. I gave you your chance, free will. I gave you that moment. And then it says, the potter created a vessel for destruction and not for honor. The grace of God is offered to all mankind in equal measure. The grace of God to Adolf Hitler is the same as the grace of God to me. John 3.16, we love to quote it if only we would you know, believe it and accept it. For God so loved the world. Whosoever whosoever for God so loved this world that whosoever would turn to him so the grace of God is the same to all but the faith response is not that's the problem you see you're not saved by grace alone this is the problem I've got with with Calvinism or hyper Calvinism it's all grace 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 oh by his grace he chose me by grace he sanctified by his grace hang on a minute just whoa 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 you're not saved by grace alone you're saved by grace through faith. That's how you're saved. And so I, I absolutely I receive the grace of God, but there is a human response. And that's the faith. And in humanity, don't let your evangelism get clouded by bad attitudes of feeling that you're selected or something like that. It, cre it, it creates bad evangelism, Michael. <laughs> it does. It creates a bad attitude. You can sense it when people are in this camp. Because they feel proud or aloof or righteous in a way they shouldn't. But when you know that there's nothing special about you, you are on the road to hell just like all of humanity. And you somehow, by the grace of God, yes, you perceive that grace, but you respond it and encourage other people to do the same thing. I know it's complicated and I know it's difficult, but I ask you to fight for it. Fight for it. As this world comes to an end, fight for it and let God open your mind to perceive yourself perhaps as you've never seen yourself before. In my conclusion today, I do not want to be a passenger of fate in 2021. I don't want to be a passenger sitting back observing my life and thinking, oh God's completely in charge. No, that's not true. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has entrusted, he has given to man. And he, do you know what Jesus said? Remember about um, John the Baptist? He said, truly I say unto you that uh, uh, of men on this earth, there is no one more powerful or righteous than John the Baptist. However, 
when I return to the Father, even the least of you, the least of you will be greater than him. So everybody's scratching their head. What is that? What it means is this. Adam first, Adam second. Adam with power in the Garden of Eden. And he lost it all. Instead of subduing the devil, he cooperated with the devil. And then you have the great epoch of the Old Testament. Whether if there was any authority, it only came on and went off. Came on and went off. And how weak that covenant was. And what Christ was saying, now I have come, the second Adam. And I've regained that authority. And I'm giving it back to the church now. This is the church. I'm giving it to you. I'm offering it to you. Accept the fact that you have great authority. But I warn you. Authority always comes with responsibility. Always. Always. I have been given great authority. Now I must accept these biblical responsibilities. And they are many. And I have an obligation to fulfill them. Who is man that you are mindful of him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor. And you put all things under his feet. There was a man in the Old Testament called Eli. He's one of the worst characters in scripture. Eli sat on his rocking chair while his children went to ruin complete ruin he neglected his authority as a father neglected his responsibilities and as for obligations that's a joke i know many of you watching are born again and that's the beginning now i'm born again i'm predestined to a task <laughs> i've got a purpose i believe that potter story you know when god saw that clay that's you before you were ever existed. And he's on my screen here. I can see Angela. Okay. So you go back. Before the world was even created. God's got a lump of clay. And he can see Angela. And he pulls that out. And he said I'm going to make you. I'm, first of all I'm going to call you. Right. So you have to respond. The grace is available. You responded. Now I'm going to take your life. And I'm going to mold you and shape you to lead people in worship. And what you've done is you've cooperated with that process. That's what gifting is. Gifting is the manifestation of God's predestiny in my purpose. And it's wonderful. You're becoming what was in his mind and in his dream. Is there anything better on earth? Is there anything more fulfilling on earth than that? Heaven's above. Nothing, nothing, nothing than to know that I'm fulfilling the commission of God. Not just being saved. As I say, that's the beginning. Now I want to accept my authority. Accept my responsibilities. And I have an obligation to fulfill these. Is God sovereign? Yes. But. He has placed certain limitations upon himself. And he's offered you such a life here. Such a life here. I promise you, you can trust my word. I'm giving it to you. It's my vow, if you like. I'll see you through. Okay? But remember, you've got free will. Don't abuse it now. Don't abuse it. Work with me. And you will be very happy with that outcome. On Judgment Day, when I die, 
my free will is gone. Just like that. You'll never see it again. It's over. That period is over. And God will enforce without consultation upon me for eternity the choice I make whilst in my body. No limits. 2021. Let's make it the best year of our lives. You can do it. We can do it. In Jesus' name, we can do it. So together with me and my wife, please bow your heads this morning and just take a moment. I know it's, it's, it's profound and it's heavy. It needs to be. Scripture is. And when I realize the price Christ paid for me and the limited nature of my response, may God forgive me. This morning, Jesus, we thank you for the cross. Thank you for coming and restoring the authority unto man. May we not neglect this great authority you have given us. May we not neglect our responsibilities. And may we respond to these obligations we have to follow you and to be molded into what was in your mind when you first perceived us, when you saw me, when God saw you, what was your dream? You are the potter and I am the clay. Help me now to be willing to let you have your way. God's sovereignty and man's responsibility.